Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the uh, Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. You may not know this right now, but the gospel, Tony explained that to you, uh, is growing quickest on the continent of Africa. Uh, And soon, in a matter of five years, the largest sending continent in the world will be the continent of Africa. This is the story of how the gospel went to Africa. And we have our African sisters here this morning as well in our midst. Uh, Africa sent missionaries to Redwood City to serve alongside us. So I love this story. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now look at these next four words or three. Then Philip, what, church? Ran. That's called obedience. He ran to obedience. He ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the gospel, the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me getting baptized? Verse 38, And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. May God bless the reading of his word. Would you please welcome Beth Severson. Good morning. It is so nice to be here. I just have to tell you, I have heard so much about your church. And um, in our network of churches, the denomination of the covenant, you are just so highly regarded. And I just want to greet you on behalf of the rest of the churches in our network and those who kind of work behind the scenes, kind of as supporting you in many ways and supporting all our churches and our global partnerships. And I want to also tell you that your Pastor Gary, if you don't know, is such a blessing to many, many more churches. We just want to acknowledge his leadership, particularly with uh, the Kids Congo Project. It's just coming at Kids Congo. It's amazing um, how your church has participated. And I just want you to know just how highly you are regarded. So um, thank you for that. You have blessed many people. And um, I'm just really excited to be here today to kind of be fitting into your series on, title of your series? 
love everyone always. And that's really what this bless uh, strategy, this, these bless inserts you're looking at, we'll be talking about, Gary, Pastor Gary introduced bless last week, and it'll just be weaving as a theme throughout the year. And that's really what bless is all about. Um, we know that God has always sought to reach the lost and restore the broken through a blessing strategy. In fact, in Genesis 12, when God first blessed Abraham and called Abraham and the people of Israel and the people of God, when he first blessed him, why did he bless him? He blessed him to bless the nations. He blessed him to bless others. And that's just who our God is. He blesses us so that we will in turn turn around and bless someone else, particularly those that are far from God. They are on God's heart. He longs for them to know his blessing. So this is an approach, blesses an approach to prayer and to sharing our faith. And it's really less about maybe downloading information or a script, but more about doing those things that you naturally do every day in life, but vectoring them outward towards those that you sense. Now, we don't have God's mind, but we sense just through their life and maybe their brokenness or their hurting, they may not know God. And so we want to do those five missional practices and vector that we do like all the time, like we pray, right? And we listen to each other. We eat together and enjoy community. We serve like beautiful day. We allow ourselves to be served and we serve with others. And then we share our story of how Jesus is changing our life and changing the world with one another. But we want to do that outward and do that with our friends who are far from the Lord. So just like spiritual disciplines, of prayer and of reading the scriptures and where some folks worship and some people like to have times of solitude in their, in their discipleship in order to do what? To get to know God better, to love him more deeply, to follow him more deeply, and to join him in his mission of blessing the world. That's really what these blessed missional practices are like. They help us to know Jesus better, to follow him more in his longing to bless the world and to become more like him in our discipleship. So we are going to be um, looking at this passage in eight and thinking about that second missional practice of listening with care. How do you feel when someone listens to you? When you feel like you've really been listened to, how does that make you feel? Affirmed? Heard? Understood? Yeah, great answers. We really feel valued, don't we? Like we matter. Like we're significant. And we feel loved. And that's what we want to do. We want to practice that missional practice with our neighbors. Jesus calls us to be a good neighbor, to love our neighbors. And bless helps us to love our neighbors, to love everyone, everywhere, all the time. So we want to look at this passage and kind of see, well, how did Philip do that? Because Philip engaged this missional practice of listening with care. And in our passage, we see that over time, God had actually been preparing him to bless others. Wow. And uh, before I jump into his story, I just kind of want to set the framework for our whole discussion today. And that is, in order to listen with care and to bless others, we want to listen to God on behalf of others. And we want to listen to others on behalf of God. So when we're listening to God, we're asking God, where are you sending me? Who do you want me to pray for? 
You know, who's right in my sphere of influence that you want me to bless? And how do you want me to bless them? And then we're listening to others. We're listening, we're asking them good questions about themselves so we can deepen our relationship, know more how to love them and serve them. And we're also looking for evidence of God's work in their lives because then we get to join God. We get to collaborate with his spirit, which I love. So how was Philip prepared, we might ask? And as we look at how Philip was prepared, I want you to be thinking also about how has God prepared you to bless others? Where have you been prepared? Where have your own cultural experiences prepared you in this blessing? So it's fair to ask, so how is Philip prepared to bless the Ethiopian? Well, I'd suggest looking at all of the story of Acts that God had been preparing Philip by his background, by his life experiences, and even his cultural sensitivities, the way that he viewed life through a cultural lens. As he reached out, they all prepared him to bless this traveler, this stranger, this um, gentleman from another culture, a guest, a foreigner. And when Philip ended up in the desert being nudged by God and he responds, he has been prepared all his life to bless this guy. So Philip's background is really interesting. You know the story of the book of Acts, right? It's the story of how the early church got started. And what was the church like when it first started? Well, if we went back to Acts chapter 2, we'd say, well, there were about 120 people that were gathered um, in that upper room waiting for Jesus to pour out his Holy Spirit on them to do what? To reach others and to bless the world. Well, what were they like? Well, most of them were probably Jewish background believing, right? Jewish background believers, that was their background. So the early church was mostly Jewish, mostly people who were Jews. Okay, so then the church starts to grow. And remember those stories really early in Acts? Like, people must be, you know, there's no mass media. So they must be, like, chit-chatting to their friends and inviting them. Hey, come and hear about this guy. Come hear about Jesus. Oh, it's just amazing what I'm learning. And we read in scriptures that the church grew sometimes by 1,000 a day, 3,000 people. I mean, think of all that sharing people's faith, an invitation. Just amazing what was going on. Okay, so um, with all that growth came diversity, diversity. And um, there were some growing pains in that early church. So um, actually there were the 12 disciples. They were like the leaders of this burgeoning movement, and they began to realize, hey, we need help here. But before we get to the help they got to, Think about what the church was like now. So we, we know in Acts chapter 6, if we turn back a couple chapters, that um, there was some tension in that church with all that diversity. In fact, they were the kind of the Hebrew-speaking Jews, and then there were a whole bunch of Greek-background Jews, Greek-speaking Jews, who came to know Jesus and came into the church. But there were tensions between the two groups, and they broke out over what? The poor, the widows, over food distribution. These Greek widows were not being fed. And so some of those Greek background Jews said they're new Christians, but they said to, I don't even think they were called Christians yet in the life of the church. So they say to the other group, kind of those Hebrew speaking, just, hey, our widows aren't being fed. Don't, don't marginalize them. You know, come on, let's, we all need to be fed here. And so tension, right, in diversity. And it was just exploding, that church, just exploding. And so that's what happened, and that's how Philip enters our story, is those disciples are kind of scratching their heads saying, okay, how are we going to do this? They're praying about it, and the Spirit leads and directs them to select seven other guys that can help with that food distribution, can help with those financial needs. And, um, and so they choose seven men who are, have Greek background because of all the diversity going on in the church. 
and things began to smooth out more. And one of those guys is Philip. That's his background. And we know in Philip's story, he goes on and God uses him in amazing ways. He goes on and shares about Jesus. He goes on and talks about God and he performs miracles and God just uses him to this huge impact among people at that time. And here's what's you know really interesting. In fact, if you read about Philip, you'll find out he's the only one in the scriptures that's called Philip the Evangelist. Evangelism just means to communicate the good news about Jesus. And Philip's own daughters, four of them, now I'm a mom, you heard of three daughters, four of those daughters went on in the ministry. They were called prophetesses. They joined Philip in the ministry. And so that, that kingdom ministry was just multiplied in their lives. So it's really interesting. Philip, from a different cultural background than the people of the church that he initially joined. He was Greek Jew in a culture of Hebrew Jews. And it's those cross-cultural experiences and adventures in his life, those skills that he developed that were really foundational in this story. That's why God uses Philip to reach across a cultural divide and to reach out to help translate the gospel to a man from another culture, from another kingdom, from another continent altogether, from another status. He's in the, the Ethiopian is among the queen's court. And Philip is used to move cross-culturally with the gospel to found a church in a whole other kingdom, a whole other continent. When we think about finding kind of our role in this idea of blessing the world, being a good neighbor, there's some things that we need to consider, like how has God wired you? What unique experiences have you had that God wants to use? Who has he drawn you to? Like, who do you have a passion for? I met a pastor in, um, in Chicago, and he told me the story of one of his small group leaders who just, God just wired him. He had a passion for skateboarders. There was a skateboard park near the church, and he, he just loved on these youth. And he came and he got his whole small group. They would take popsicles out, and they would love on that, that youth, those youth. And those youth began to come and hang around the fringes of the church. And eventually, they began to come and get involved in youth group. And they came to know and love Jesus. And their lives were transformed out of that desire that God gave that small group leader. So who has God given you a heart for? And all that stuff in our lives, like uh, you know, that, our gender, our ethnicity, where we were raised, the experiences that we've had, all of that is kingdom stuff. God wants to use it to bless other people. And what I'd like to ask you, what hard or difficult experiences do you have in your life that you've gone through that God might want to use to bless someone, to love someone? Think of Philip, this minority person in this new church who reaches out to this Ethiopian man from another culture, another kingdom, who probably faced his own issues and his own struggles and who needed good news. And he was prepared by God to bless that Ethiopian. He most likely knew what it was like to live at the margins, sometimes excluded, left out like those widows, left out of the mainstream. Just like Philip in our story, everyone here, God has prepared. He has prepared us to bless others. Every one of us has some stuff that God will use interests, hobbies. Maybe you have a great concern for the environment. God might want to use that. Maybe you have a hobby that you just love to do. 
And there are other people that God has wired just like you that love that same hobby that you can connect to. And here's what's really cool about the gospel and blessing people. The part I just absolutely love is sometimes our worst stuff is our best stuff. God just uses sometimes our worst stuff. Sometimes our brokenness is what he wants to use to reach out to bless someone else and draw them to himself. Let me just kind of give you an example of that from my own life. So I'm just living in a neighborhood and doing life on life with my neighbors, both at school and in the neighborhood. I'm the mother of three girls. My next door neighbor, Penny, she has three daughters. Now my youngest is the same age as her oldest, so we have this kind of stair step all the way down. And um, Penny and I are having a garage sale in my garage. And she goes home to make lunch for all eight of us, right? There's a lot of us. And she comes back, and she's kind of like shaking. And I can just see that she's kind of visibly upset. So I say, well, Penny, what's really going on with you? And she said, you know what? She goes, I cannot believe it. She goes, I went home, and I, you know, I was trying to make sandwiches for all of us. And there's kind of something going on in the background. And I'm, getting, I'm just feeling all this pressure to get back to the garage sale. And she said, you know what? I just... I just lost my temper with my kids, and I just completely yelled at them. It's like I just snapped. And she said, those girls, they didn't do a thing wrong. And, you know, I'm thinking, and I'm, I'm just kind of listening, and I'm praying, and, and I just sense God wants me to do this. Tell her. I just kind of sense it. Tell her. She says, boy, Penny, I, you know, I've been there. I know what you mean. I said, you know, you and I, we both love my daughter, Meredith, but there was a time, I have to tell you, my kids all took music lessons, and you know the Suzuki lesson method, right? The parent has to learn. Pretty much has to learn how to play the piano, has to learn how to play the violin at those early years. And so you're trying to teach your daughter or child how to do this. And so I'm sitting at the piano with my daughter, and I'm, I'm kind of almost practicing for her, showing her how to do it. So here's how to do it, Meredith. And then Meredith tries it, and she doesn't get it. So we do it again. And it's almost time for dinner. And we do it a third time, and Meredith doesn't get it. And I do it a fourth time, and Meredith doesn't get it. And we do it a fifth time, and Meredith doesn't get it. And what happens? I snap. And I reached out, and I slapped my daughter's hand. One of the lowest moments in my parenting. My daughter hadn't done a thing wrong. She was trying so hard to please me, and I just lost it. I shared this with Penny, and I said, Penny, would you be all right with you? If I just prayed for both of us. We can just keep our eyes open if you're more comfortable, but that God would help us be better moms, be the moms we long to be and not lose our tempers. Because I know I can't do that on my own. But God is a loving parent, and he can help us. And, you know, she nodded, and we had that moment of prayer. God just emptied that garage. We had this moment of prayer together. It wasn't too long after that that... um, in the middle of the night, there was something about what happened in that garage, that worst stuff, you know, I'm sharing with her, right, that seemed to kind of unstick our relationship. Like, we got to a deeper level. So a few weeks later, middle of the night, Saturday night, I'm married to a pastor, right, Saturday night, 2 a.m., you know, we all go to bed early, we've got to get up on Sunday mornings and, and be at church, 2 a.m., the phone rings, and it's Penny. Beth, would you make, wake up Mark, please? She goes, I just need help. Jeff is out there in the night, lost somewhere. He's not even sure where he is. He can't find his car, and he's stone drunk. And we just need help here. Sure, Penny. We were happy to help. A few weeks after that, I'm headed to vacation Bible school, and my minivan is now filled with not three little girls, but six little girls. And a few months after that, just as our relationship deepens, Jeff and Penny join us for church, and they begin their journey towards Jesus and faith in him. God wants to use 
the brokenness in our lives and the stuff of our lives like he did with Philip, like he did with Penny and with me. So God will use even that. So let me ask you, what is so broken in your life that you think God will never use that to bless someone? Can you hold it and open your hands in case God wants to use just that thing and redeem it? to reach out and touch the lives of someone who is far from God. Here's my second observation in the text. God nudges Philip, and Philip responds, and the Ethiopian man is prepared to be blessed. God nudges us to bless people, and God prepares people to be blessed by us. Let's unpack that. For blessing to be really fruitful and transformative, for it to make a difference, God does use our stuff, but he's also the connector. He's the one who initiates it. He's the one who um, puts it all together for us. We can't really bless people apart from him. He's the one that leads us. He creates the opportunity. And for it to really be authentic, it needs to be God-nudged, and then we need to respond to that. That's kind of just what happened in this passage, right? God just kind of whispers to Philip, Go south. Philip obeys. And then he says, you know, like, here's this particular road, and here's a guy in a carriage. And we just heard what Pastor Gary said. Philip responded. He just obeyed immediately. He just responded to whatever that prompting was. Sometimes we're not even sure if that's exactly it. But I always encourage people, if you think that's God in any way, just lean in and go with it. Because he will bless it. So I think that's so cool. Because It's not all on us. Like when we go to share our faith and to reach out and bless people and listen to them, it's not all up to us. We're collaborators. We're just going along with what God is doing. It's like being a detective trying to figure out where God's at work and kind of like joining him. Um, Yeah, so awesome. You know, I long to wake up every morning. I I think with this quote in mind, uh, I think it's Susanna Wesley, the mother of John Wesley, and you know all that impact that, of the Wesleys had. I think she had 12 children. And in her journal, she wrote, God, help me to see the interruptions of my day as the most important work of the day. So often, when um, God nudges us, it comes in the form of what? Interruptions, right? Interruptions. And I want to wake up every morning being ready to be interrupted for God. Who might God want to interrupt you with this week in order to pray for them? And then what else does God do? He interrupts us, he nudges us, but he prepares people to be blessed by us. You know, I was thinking about this and I was remembering... um, uh, a time in my life when I was a, a mom of three, maybe elementary age school kids, and my friend Andrea and I were doing kind of something like what you're going to do. We were planting a church at a school. We were just on a team. We both just loved Jesus. We had that in common. And so Andrea was just having all her girlfriends over and from the neighborhood, and we were meeting each other for the first time. She just stuck some licorice on the center of the table, threw out some popcorn, and we had a girl's night out that easy. And so there was a new woman. I had not met her in the neighborhood, and she was a single mom, and her name was Pam. She was sitting across the table for me, and this crazy script just went right through my head. You and Pam will never be friends. Now, I don't think that was from the Holy Spirit, do you? What was going through my head? I was sitting there, and I was thinking, she is so funny. 
She is so pretty. Now, this is a stage of my life where I had, like, you know, peanut butter and jelly over me all the time. She is like, um, oh, I found out she was an interior designer. And I was living, in, you know, a residential interior designer. I was living, like, in a 1939 house or older with 1939 wallpaper stripping off the kitchen, right? And so I just was kind of, like, intimidated by her. But a couple weeks later, Andrea, who had the party, and I were talking on the phone, and I just was prompted to say, I don't know, I just, I just said, hey, has anybody reached out to Pam and kind of shared with Pam how she could have a relationship with Jesus? And my friend Andrea said, no, I don't think so. Well, who do you think the Holy Spirit began to nudge? Yeah, not Andrea, but me. And I just had every reason in the world why I didn't think it was me, and I just argued and argued with God. But eventually, I gave in, and I'm in my little postage stamp size kitchen in Milwaukee. And um, the situation has got even worse because I am on a pastor's budget, right? So I am serving scrambled eggs and French toast. And can you imagine what kind of bread I was using for French toast? Wonder bread. Right? Wonder bread. Okay, so it gets worse because Pam tells me that she has been, uh, her ex owns these two beautiful, elegant restaurants in Milwaukee, you know, with the white linen tablecloths and the very expensive menus that light up. And, you know, I am serving this Wonder Bread. And so um, I'm quite nervous, and I really know what question I'm supposed to ask Pam. Listen with care, right? Ask questions. That's what Philip did in this text. Do you know what you're reading? He says, like, he's just asking questions. And I know what question I'm supposed to ask, so I don't want to ask it, but I finally turn around to the stove, and I have to tell you, that French toast, it's getting really dark. Because <laughs> so I'm flipping it, and I'm flipping it, and I finally say to her, Pam, I was just wondering, would you, like, be interested, like, just the two of us, we could get together, and we could open the scriptures, we could study the Bible, and we could just get to know Jesus more. We wouldn't say what our pastor or our priest or the radio or the television said. We'd just look in the scriptures, just the two of us really quiet in that kitchen, and I really do not want to turn around. I finally turn around, get the nerve up, and I look at Pam, and she is sitting in the corner looking at me with longing, saying, I would be such a novice. Now, I assured her that we all start. We all have a beginning. So a few months pass, and Pam and I have been meeting every couple of weeks at my dining room table. And we're looking at the scriptures, we're getting to know Jesus better, and she begins to spiritually awaken. God had prepared her to be blessed. She was ready. He nudged me. I reluctantly obeyed. And then he just did this incredible transforming thing, just like in this story with Philip. Philip ran to that man and began to ask him questions so interesting. And you know, it's fascinating. This, this woman was quite sophisticated. And here I am, a mom of three younger girls and, you know, the peanut butter jelly mom. And yet, God prepared her. He connected us. I don't even live in her circles. And God just put us together. So who is it that God wants to connect you to? Who is it that he wants you to lean into? Ask questions. Where will he nudge you this week where you will respond? Well, there's another observation that I've made in this text, and that's how Philip just comes alongside the Ethiopian eunuch and is near him. God wants him to go be near him, right? To be in proximity of him in this story. And God wants us to come alongside and to be with people too, 
to be in proximity of them. God nudges Philip to go be near this Ethiopian. And that's kind of the third part of listening with care, isn't it? Is to go be with people. Get outside the church. I love the church. I love the church. God wants us to come and worship him and make friends here and strengthen our faith and build each, faith and build each other up, right? And then he wants us to go scatter out into the community and love people and share our faith and bless them and pray for them and ask them questions and connect with people with that longing that they might come to know him too someday with the hope that we might too get to introduce them to Jesus. So that's what Philip does. On the one hand here, it just looks like something very obvious. He sees that the guy's reading scripture and he just says like, do you understand what you're reading? Like, how can I help you? And he helps him begin to understand God, how God is at work. So he just, he noticed, he asked a few questions. He noticed where God was working and then he just leaned in and he spoke right into where he saw God working. But he couldn't do that if he wasn't near him. And that's our role too. Asking questions of people. Where is God working in their life? What might that look like? You know, it might look like someone has a spiritual question like in this story, but it also might look like another story. I do this research on churches reaching millennials. And uh, I was talking to a young millennial that goes to one of our covenant churches up in the Seattle area. He had never gone to church in his entire life. Why? What did he believe about the church? Well, his mom in high school got pregnant and a church excluded her. She wasn't welcome there. And that church made a big mistake. And so he grew up believing, I'm not good enough for church. They don't want me. And they are very exclusionary and probably a lot of other scripts. Young people often tell us they feel two things of people who are unchurched, young adults, will say they believe two things about church. Church is judgmental and church wants to pressure you. And we have to change that script. And this church in Seattle, they changed that narrative for this young man. What happened? Well, a girl came alongside him and said, hey, let's have lunch. And then they had lunch and she said, you know what? A bunch of us from my church and some of my other friends are all going camping this weekend. Would you like to come? He goes camping. When he's camping, some of the guys on the camping trip said, hey, we play ultimate frisbee in the summer and we play soccer uh, out of our church. You don't have to go to our church. Just come on and join us. We'd love to have you in our league. So he just joined them and he became curious over the summer. And the end of the summer, one of the friends says, hey, would you like to, we have a community group at our church and we just have a meal together during the week. And we talk about like, where is God work in our lives? And we'd love to have you join us. You don't have to be a believer or anything. Just come. We always get something out of it. So he comes. And he becomes more and more curious. It's a safe place to ask his questions. And before you know it, he says to them, hey, can I go to church with you on Sunday? I'm really curious. I want to check it out. What did that church do? That church helped him decide whether or not he wanted to try on Christian identity. Did it fit him or not? He got to hang out with Christians, see what they're like. They prayed in that small group. They looked at scripture. It's really a wonderful story of how a church reached out and changed a young man's life. <laughs> so it might be that we help change a stereotype. Another thing I notice in this text is that in blessing people, we need to pay attention to their dreams and their pain and listen for evidence of God's work in their life. Philip asked questions. You know, he uncovered what was going on. He listened. And that's what God wants us to do. That's our role, that being a detective, 
asking people about their dreams and their pain. Well, I work out that this uh, $10 gym once a month, or I, maybe once a week, but anyway. And it's, um, I was there for the, for using a Stairmaster for the first time. Like I, I ran into this gym and I saw uh, this woman about my age. And so I jumped up next to her and I hadn't used it in a while and she could see me struggling. So she reached over and she just did my setting for me and introduced herself. So I said, oh, thank you, Mo. And uh, we talked for a few minutes, got to know each other a little bit. And then I just said to her, I say, how much longer are you going to be at the gym? And she said, 20 minutes. And I said, well, would you mind if I joined you in your routine? I'd love to learn a few new things and I'd like to get to know you better. So she said, sure, come on. About 20 minutes later, it's about three minutes to eight. And we have both identified that we need to leave at eight o'clock. Three minutes to eight, and um, we're, we're in a mat room, and everybody's kind of cleared out, and we're kind of doing our crunches, and I just looked over her, and I just, just said, hey, what are you looking forward to in your life, Mo? Like, what are you longing for? I'm asking her a dream question, right? And she gets quiet, and she looks back, and she says to me, peace. Peace. Okay, that's two minutes to eight. Listen to the Holy Spirit for a moment. And just says, ask her, ask her. So I said, can you unpack that a little bit? And she briefly told me that five years before, as a single mom of three boys in high school and college, she started dating a guy, really nice guy. They dated for six months, and at the end of the six months, he had lost all his motor skills, his cognitive functioning, he lost his job, his home, his kids didn't want anything to do with him. She went to her boys, and she said, is there anything we can do to help? And together as a team, they decided to take over his care. They invited him to live with them. He didn't even know them anymore. Every morning, they got him up, fed him, got him safe, went to work, went to school, came home, fed him, got him to bed. Five years. And she said, you know, it's so sad because we hardly even knew each other. And she said, we just went to Mayo Clinic, and they said, it's, it's our turn now, Mo. You've done everything you can. His care is too high for you. She said, I don't know what to do with my life. She said, I'm just looking for some peace. So she was a little teary by then, and I just kind of reached out and just asked if I could pray for her. And I paused a moment, listened, and I felt like God just said, tell her I'm proud of her. And so I did. I just prayed that over her, just like she would know God as a father who is so pleased and proud of his daughter for the sacrifice that she has made. Because God the Father knows about making sacrifices that he had sacrificed for her as well. And that began our relationship. Just simple questions, right? Often it doesn't take a lot of questions. It can just be one question that God might use as we probe, go a little bit deeper. I often say to people, it's like a tennis match. Hit the ball as long as they keep hitting back. We ask questions until they stop. We don't want to keep going. If someone's not interested, we just pause. But it starts by listening. That's what Philip did. Responded to the nudging of the Holy Spirit. Then finally, bless people so they can bless others. Philip blesses this Ethiopian man. And what does the Ethiopian do? He runs off rejoicing. And we know the end of that story. He goes back to his home country. And he shares and he blesses them. You know, I mentioned that story of Pam and Joe, or I mentioned the story about Pam, that beautiful woman that was really funny. We became lifelong friends. Isn't that interesting? That woman I said in my head, oh, we'll never be friends. Pam became engaged to Joe, and she was concerned for Joe's spiritual life too. And she asked Mark and I if we would reach out to Joe. 
And we did. Over time, Joe, too, began a journey towards faith in Christ, and his life transformed. And Joe decided with his, he was also a restaurateur, owned like 11, 12 restaurants in the Milwaukee area. He decided to do profit sharing so that his employees could have a better life. So he blessed them. He also wanted to make sure that they too had an opportunity to know about Jesus. And in many ways, Pam and Joe have influenced so many more people than Mark or I would ever have the opportunity to. That, that blessing strategy, when God blesses us, and then we reach out and we pray for others and we listen to them with care. We go on and, and have community with them. Yeah, serving together and sharing our story. God can use that simple blessing strategy and it can snowball and multiply. Well, I'd love for you, as we think about the conclusion um, of this passage, to think about this week with intention. Who does God want me to listen to this week? Expect to be interrupted and embrace that. And then before you wake up each morning, pray. Pray for those opportunities and pray for people on what I'm going to call your blessed list. You have a pocket full of inserts today. I would love it if you would pull out with me that um, beginning with prayer insert. There's kind of two inserts that have to do with what we're talking about today. The listen with care Stick that somewhere where you can go back to it this week. It's got some great questions to ask someone in your life to kind of transition into more depth, more, more a deeper conversation. But for right now, um, our pastors are going to come forward and kind of walk us through this particular brochure. So as he's coming, I'm just going to pray, and uh, we'll transition. So Father, we do want to be people that bless others. Would you help us this week to listen to our friends that we sense are far from you in order to bless them and go deeper in conversation and in relationship with them. Help us pay attention to your interruptions, your nudges, yeah, to their pain and their dreams. Help us listen to you, Father, about people and help us to listen to people about God. In Jesus' name, amen. listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.